Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Austin Vondercheck. I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. It's, uh, it's good to have you all here. Uh, and today we are starting a new series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians gives a beautiful blueprint on what it means to be a Christian, to make a faith commitment. And, and we're going to, actually, the, the reason for that has to do with kind of some of the context of it. So as we're starting off in, in Ephesians, let me just kind of give some, some basic information in case you're not familiar with this. Uh, uh, Ephesians was, was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, for a church in the ancient city of, of Ephesus. And many of Paul's writings uh, that, that we have today that make up what, we, what, what you call the, the New Testament in your Bible, uh, uh, many of those were written uh, to address issues or heresies or just problems that certain churches were having that, uh, that Paul was connected with. But in the case of Ephesians, it's actually not that. So to give you an example, like if you read uh, 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 the book of Galatians, Galatians just feels like you're, you're, you're beginning to read in the middle of a conversation. He's addressing all of these things that we're not really, at least if you don't know, you're not really aware of what's going on. Whereas Ephesians is just a letter that he writes as a way to encourage the believers in Ephesus at a church that he himself started to people that he himself knows. And the way that he wants to encourage them really is to remind them of their identity, to bring them back, to call them back to the core of the gospel and remind them uh, who they are. So we're going to look at Ephesians uh, during the month of October, though on the 24th we're going to take a little break from it as we celebrate Possibility Sunday, uh, but then we're going to pick back up and, and finish it up on, uh, on Halloween, on October 31st. So Ephesians opens, the very first chapter, which we're going to read in a little bit, it opens with, um, with a prequel, a prequel of your life, a prequel of your faith. And it's something that in our Reformed tradition we call unconditional election. Although for some of you, you might know it by a little bit better terminology, which is the doctrine of predestination. Now the theological viewpoint of predestination says that, that God foreknew those who would be saved before any person walked the earth. Now there are many nuances to that. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there are finer details. There's plenty of hairs that we could split together. But that's basically the big idea. And it's also not an idea that everyone really likes. Uh, um, it, it's something that is somewhat unique to our Reformed tradition, though not exclusively to, for the Reformed tradition. And in fact, even among those in the Reformed tradition, it's not something that everyone buys into. Uh, in fact, in, in seminary, okay, you might be able to imagine that in seminary the jokes aren't very good. Uh, 
But uh, uh, I'll share with you a couple of them. Uh, one is that uh, one joke is that uh, when you are ordained and you and you make your your promises, uh, that when it comes to the part that that includes promising that you believe in in this, you slip your hand behind your back and you cross your fingers as you you make that promise. Uh, another, I, I told you it wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> another is that you might call yourself a four fifth reformer. So a four fifth reformer means that of the tulip acronym that makes up Calvinism, it's kind of part of the the foundation of Reformed theology, that the U of T-U-L-I-P, TULIP, that the U is just one that, you know, if you're going to be a four-fifth reformer and you're not going to maybe totally buy into one of them, it's probably going to be unconditional election. So again, it's not something that necessarily everyone agrees with. There's some of you here who don't agree with it. There's some of you here who are completely on board. There's also some of you who are like, I never even thought of any of this. Am I walking into a fight? It's not that. It's just that it's one of those things that some people tend to believe in, some people don't. I myself have gone back and forth for a lot of my life, and uh, I may continue to do so. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, but I just wanted to kind of preface it with that, mainly to say that, uh, to, to speak to those who hear unconditional election and be like, all right, I'm tuning out of this one. Uh, just to say, let's be open-minded, for one. You, maybe I'm not going to convince you of anything, and that's fine. Uh, maybe I will. Uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll see. But also, here's a, a point that I want to make, and, and this applies to, to more than just the, the topic that we're looking at today. I think that we have, all of us have the tendency, every, every one of us, I'm positive, has, have the tendency to create God in our image rather than accepting that we are creating the image of God. And we do that when we encounter things that maybe we don't like about God and, or, or things that we wish were different. And we find a way to justify uh, why God agrees with us rather than having to conform to the way that God is. And, and this could be values of God. This could be a, 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 you know, nature, characteristics of God, things that are right and wrong. We, we all have the tendency, and it's such a temptation, to craft God into someone who agrees with us, whose parameters we are within. And there is certainly a biblical argument to push against everything that I'm going to say today. And if that's you, fantastic. I applaud you for having an informed view, and you don't have to agree with me. But if, if you're just like, I don't like predestination because it feels funny or whatever, I would encourage you to try to let that go and to look at what the authority of Scripture says about this topic. And, and Ephesians 1 is one of these major points uh, that kind of lends to, uh, to this belief. And so uh, with that, let's actually get into it here. Ephesians 1 begins like this. Paul, the apostle of of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. 
With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the, time, when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So here's where we're going to be going today. We're going to be looking at, at three points that Ephesians and the uh, doctrine of election uh, claim about us. And, and those three points kind of generally, they, it, we're going to look at what it says about us, what it says about God, and what it says about the people around us. And, and here's the first. First is that election is the greatest imaginable act of grace. Grace, uh, election is the greatest imaginable act of grace. When God says through Paul that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, what he's saying is that, is that before time and space, you were a part of God's plan. That before you were born, you were known by God. That, that, be that before you, were, before you were, uh, took your first breath, before you committed your first sin, before you sang your first song in church, that God had already made arrangements for your life. It, 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 means, that, that, <laughs> it means that God knows your, your destination before you could even crawl as a baby. It, it, it means, election means, it, it means that when, when Paul says that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, he's saying that when, when that spark of faith was ignited in your life and you made a faith commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God wasn't surprised because he knew it was a matter of, of when and not if. It means that no human factors were taken into consideration for your election. And that's why election is the greatest imaginable act of grace by a God that is defined by grace. In fact, when uh, later in scripture, uh, God gives uh, uh, Paul or excuse me, God gives John a, a vision of of the end times. He gives a vision of of uh, of heaven and and in it, uh, John sees a book. It's what we know today as revelation. And and uh, or his his writing of what 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 Jesus shows him is is revelation and and in that book, uh, John is given a view of, of, of heaven, and, and there he sees a book in which the elect are named. And, and in that book, which this vision occurred 2,000 years ago, but even in that book, the names of the elect are written. Your names were written in a book that John saw. God foreknew those who he would claim election is the greatest act of grace by a God of grace. Second point is that election explains the part that we play in faith. Now, some, some people uh, think that election, uh, they think of God's election as something like similar to a crystal ball or a or magic mirror, okay? So, so where, where God stands before it and he says, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, show me who will respond to the gospel call. And then he looks, oh, come on, I rhymed. <laughs> Whatever, fine. <laughs> 
seminary jokes. Uh, uh, so, but, he, but that's kind of one of the thoughts that we have. It's like he looks into this mirror. He looks into this, this crystal ball. And he, he, he looks into the future and makes his claim about those he would elect based upon who he sees. So he stands at the beginning of time. This is what it, it basically means. Is that he stands at the beginning of time and space. And he looks down the corridor of time to the very end. And with this viewpoint, he turns around and he says, okay, here's who said yes. And then he bases his election based upon that final, that final look. But that's just not the testimony of Scripture about how it works. Uh, Paul says, or, or God says through Paul, rather, in Romans 8, that uh, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When we believe that God looks into the crystal ball or the magic mirror, uh, what we effectively do is that we change one half of one word and it actually completely changes the meaning. So Paul said, as we just read, he said, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. This is verse 29. But when we say that when we have this crystal ball God, we change foreknew to foresaw. Okay? So if God foresaw the future and he made his determination based upon that, again, crystal ball God, what God is basically doing, what we're saying about God, which this does not line up with the testimony, other testimony of Scripture, but, but what we're saying is that uh, he basically takes himself out of all of life because he stands back at the beginning, lets everything play out, looks how it ends, and then makes that determination. So he is completely out of life. God's intervention is gone. And this is actually something that this, this belief, this is the beginning point of a belief called, called deism. If you've not heard of deism, it, it basically says that, that uh, it doesn't have to be a Christian, you know, you, you could be a deist and not be a Christian in any way. So, so deism says that uh, God or the supreme being or the first energy or whatever you want to call like the divine force, we'll, we'll just call it God for sake of reference. And so uh, uh, deism says that, that God creates everything and basically puts all the ingredients and the energy and the, the processes in motion, and he creates, then he just kind of lets it go. And it plays out. Almost like a machine. He oils it, he gasses it up to run as, as long or as far as he needs it to go, and then he's hands off. Doesn't have to do anything with it. No intervention, no, you know, answered prayers. No, he's just, let it go. Let it go. And that's basically what this crystal ball, that's effectively what we name God to be in this understanding of predestination. Okay, so we've, we're up here. Okay, let's bring it down here a little bit. My, uh, uh, <laughs> I was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with my aunt and uncle one time, uh, and I was like eight. Okay, so this is like prime time Who Wants to Be a Millionaire time. And uh, so we're watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and, and somebody, you know, gets called up to, 
uh, to play. And my uncle says, I'll bet you this guy's going to win a million dollars. I was like, all right. And he hadn't even answered a question yet. And he said, you know what? If he doesn't, if he wins a million dollars, you paint my fence. If he doesn't win a million dollars, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Well, I'm eight, but I'm not stupid. (laughs) So I took it. I took the bet. And this guy won a million dollars. He won a million dollars with style, okay? I'm just curious if anybody remembers this. He, on the last question, he had his phone a friend lifeline left, and he called, I think it was his dad. He called his dad, and he said, hey, dad, I don't actually have a question. I just want to let you know I'm going to win a million dollars. Anybody remember that? Oh, there's a few. Okay, great. So you know I'm not lying. Uh, uh, so, so he won a million dollars. I lost the bet. Turns out it was a rerun. <laughs> Didn't find that out until later. But that's kind of like what, when we talk about God looking through the corridors of time, making his determination based upon how it played out, that's kind of what we're, that's basically what we're saying about God that he, that he foreknew, uh, or rather that he foresaw rather than he foreknew. He makes a claim, uh, he doesn't intervene, but he makes the claim based upon how things play out. But the, but the Bible, the thing is, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God foreknew, not foresaw, foreknew. And foreknew means that election doesn't make God this deist God who doesn't intervene. It also doesn't make him this puppet master who's, in, who's controlling every one of our most minute actions. Election, election doesn't erase your choosing of Christ. You really did choose him. But election shows the chronology of choice. Before you made a faith commitment and chose God in Christ, election says that God chose you. You choose second because God chose first. And this choosing based upon grace rather than works has profound relational implications because election restores what it means to love one another. Namely, that we model our love after the unconditional love of Christ. Now, here's how John puts it in 1 John 4. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, here's the the logic that, that John is setting up here. That love is not just God loving us, but that love is God loving us unconditionally right? Because we all know that there's different versions and definitions of love, that one love is not equal to all love, that that love can be described in a variety of ways. And, And in this case, he's saying that the love that God has, the way that you really describe it, if you had to put one word to it to sum it up, he would add the word unconditional. Loving us without our effort. That's what that means. Loving us without our effort, even in fact loving us before our effort. And now, as his logic goes, because of that, John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So it's God's love, which predates you, that gives us the blueprint of how we are to love and treat other people. And this unconditional love of God, this does not fit the world. 
The world does not love unconditionally. The world has a lot of definitions of love, but unconditional is certainly not one of them. Because here's the thing that, that, that's true, and I, I'm beginning to, as I read Scripture, I'm beginning to, to believe this more and more, that, you know what, if it were easy, it probably wouldn't be written down. That, that unconditional love is hard. No wonder the Bible talks about it so often. No matter why the writers write about it so often, because unconditional love is hard. In fact, it's downright impossible sometimes. Uh, here's a verse. Okay, I'm going to show you a verse that I, ugh, when I find it, love is going to be so much easier. It's going to be so much easier. I haven't found it yet, but I'm sharing it with you because maybe you all can help me find it here. Uh, love one another as long as the person is lovable, deserves it, and agrees with you. Won't that make love so much easier when we find that verse? So maybe I, I'm just, okay, so there's all you guys, everybody online, if you could just look it up. and I mean, it's a big book. Maybe if we split it up, we can all find it, right? Okay, don't look too hard. It's not in there. It's, it's, it's not. But this is where, as we kind of finish up here, this is where election really jumps off of the pages of Scripture, and it jumps out of the windows of the ivory tower that we usually put election in, and it jumps into our everyday, ordinary life. Election means that, that your fellow brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ, rather, the ones that, that you love easily, the ones that you agree with, the people that you like to be around, and the ones you would rather have a root canal than spend any more time with. Both of those people, both of those groups of people are children of God. The people that are easy to love and the people that are hard to love are children of God because of the unconditional grace that also included you in God's love. Think of the brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't click with. I want you to literally think in your mind's eye those that you don't get along with. Those you don't see eye to eye. Those that just seem to interpret it all differently than, than you. You know, the ones who are wrong. <laughs> Imagine that person Maybe it's not even just one person. We don't need to belabor this, right? You can think of somebody. In fact, maybe it's a few people. Maybe it's a group of, of people. I've got that person in my mind. As you think of who that is, and as you recite that person's name in your own mind, maybe even just imagine the tone of their voice, I want you to remind yourself that that person is an heir of God's kingdom. That person is loved by God. That person is, is, that person is written in the book of life, and maybe their name is written right next to yours. Every Christian you meet is a child of God because of God's unconditional election to love those who don't deserve it. The notion of being elected or chosen, you know, maybe that terminology in your mind makes you feel prideful or something like that, but it it shouldn't bring us pride. It should bring us to a place of, of humility because election is a demonstration of grace that we aren't supposed to just, we aren't supposed to just enjoy grace. We're not supposed to just look at it and marvel at it. 
grace is something that we're supposed to share, that we're supposed to give to others. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for, well, thank you for the prequel to our story. Thank you that before we could even begin to put the effort in, God, you chose us. And God, thank you that 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 grace stays with us, that it never leaves us, that you are always present with us, and because of that, your grace is always there. And God, I I pray that you would empower us to love others with the same unconditional love that you showed us. And God, you, you say, or Jesus, you say that, that, uh, that, that it's easy. It's one thing to love people that you agree with. That, that doesn't take anything. But to love those that we struggle with, well, that means something. And God, in a world that, in a world of contempt, in a world where we have to apparently all agree in order to share the same room, I pray, God, that this unconditional election, this, or this unconditional love, which, which election helps to solidify, God, that you would let that love be our guiding light through life. It would guide the way that we treat other people, especially those who are hardest to love. God, thank you for choosing us in you. Thank you for including us in your plans. And God, I pray that each of us would be faithful to the plans that you have uh, for us, the opportunities that you lay out ahead of us. God, that we, that we would choose to uh, be faithful and bold in our faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.